Welcome to Local Wool, a podcast for conscientious makers. I'm Anastasia Williams, and this is episode 10. Today, I'm really excited to share with you a special message from our very first sponsor at Vermont Grandview Farm. Um, Kim Goodling runs a farm, and she has some really exciting classes coming up for small farmers and small producers. Kim is an amazing educator, and you can learn a lot about what she stands for, her Gotland breed, and all of her really extensive knowledge in our interview that we did together back in episode two. But I'll let her go ahead and tell you more about these classes. Hi, I'm Kim Goodling, shepherd of Vermont Grandview Farm. Basically, I'm pretty crazy about sheep. In fact, I'm so crazy that I started an online school offering courses to small farms and shepherds just like me. I currently have a course called Preparing for Your Flock. It's designed to help the brand new shepherd get their farm ready for their first flock of sheep. I also have a course called Branding Your Farm for Success. In this course, I'll teach you how to stand out among all the gazillion other farms out there. So come over to VermontFarmSchool.com to learn more about it. Now, as we get on with the show today, just keep in mind that you may hear some bird noises in the background. I am volunteering as a wildlife rehabilitator right now, so I have a very feisty robin in my house who feels the need to vocalize constantly. So there may be a little bit of chirping, but I don't think it takes away from the interview that we have today. So now, on to the show. Today, joining me, I have... Brenda Anderson of Busy You Farm and Fibers over in Custer, South Dakota. Brenda, thank you so much for joining me today. Sure, welcome. I'm glad to be here. All right. So just to kind of get started, um, can you tell us a little about yourself and your like what you do? Okay. Um, well, basically, I was born on a ranch in Minnesota, and we've kind of moved away from the ranch but I've always had horses cats and dogs and so sheep is kind of a new endeavor for me um I had one daughter and two grandchildren Kai and Raina so unfortunately they live in New York State so I don't get to see them very often and I used to work for the Forest Service I put in 30 years and so I've actually retired and so um sheep farming is kind of my second career Wow. So, yeah. So and I, I have all kinds of hobbies. I quilt, I weave, I spin, I knit, I crochet. <laughs> wow. So. so did you then kind of make that transition to sheep as a result of those hobbies? Well, it was kind of something kind of funny. We went to a farmer's market and there was a nine-year-old girl that was there that she was showing me what she had dyed with Kool-Aid. She had some fiber 
And I said, well, you know, I've always been fascinated by fiber, but I didn't have a spinning wheel, didn't know what to do with it. Or it and I said, it's really pretty. And she says, well, we have these little CD drop spindles and I can show you how to use them. And I was like, well, that'd be cool. So she sat down, we, she showed me how to use it. And so I bought some fiber, I bought the spindle and I made enough yarn to make a hat. And I said, you know, I really like doing this. <laughs> So then I started, you know, searching out other people who were um, working with fiber and I got in with a bunch of people and I bought a spinning wheel and started just kind of working with all the different fiber. And so that's kind of how it started. I don't know that she realized she started somebody on a new career. <laughs> well, so did you, did you start very much like the whole, your whole introduction to fiber was a drop spindle like you weren't knitting or anything prior to that well i had been knitting when i was a kid and i couldn't work with i had to quit because my hands would swell and i i just mm. didn't know what was going on and then at, when i went into college um we discovered that i was allergic to plastics and so any acrylics polyester you know the double knits all of that stuff i had an allergic reaction to and the only other uh, wool that I had been in introduced to was an old wool army blanket that was not very comfortable. So I just <laughs> kind of gave up on everything until this little gal showed me what their fiber was like. And it wasn't prickly. It was, you know, I could knit, you know, spin it, knit it, and I didn't have the allergic reaction to it. So she just opened up a whole new... Uh, world again because I really like to do knitting and things like that yeah that is really interesting so do you have um, allergies when it comes to super washes or are those like minimal enough in their polymers that it doesn't bother you well and I haven't had any issues with it um, I'm I made a I don't know if you've ever heard of the beekeeper knit along or the foxtrot knit along there's a group on Facebook that are doing it and um, so I actually have knit my very first sweater that I ever finished because when I was knitting, I, I didn't know how to put them together so they looked nice. And mm. so I give up at that point. And so somebody introduced me to this top-down knitting for the sweaters that have no seams. And I said, I'm a convert. <laughs> and so I did get some super wash. And so I actually used it and I haven't had any problems yet. So. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, because I, I think I've, the more that I've learned about Superwash, the more that I've under, come to understand that it's really kind of, there's really not a ton of like a polymer resin in it. It kind of just fills a little bit of the gaps that have been um, kind of eroded from the outside of it uh, to basically keep it from having any issues in the dryer but anyway so yeah so that's that's really interesting to know so that must mean that there really isn't very much in it especially if you're allergic to it right. so yeah so okay well that I mean that's a whole topic in and of itself I feel like we could talk about all of your hobbies just right there but I guess we'll, we'll dive into the sheet part so okay. um how did you get started with your flock Okay, um, one of the gals that I was buying all my fiber from um, was getting older. She had a flock of teaswaters, 
And she decided that she was too old to do it anymore, and she decided to sell her flock. Um, I had some acreage, and I had been looking for some fiber animals because I needed something to eat down all the tall grass and stuff. Um, and so I decided, well, I'd just buy some of her sheep. And so I started out with three ewes and a buck or a ram, and that's kind of how I got started. And it was just kind of a hobby and because I was still working and I couldn't have a second job with the job that I had at that time. And um, I had a lot of people say, oh, are you going to sell your fiber? Are you going to sell your fiber? And I was like, um, I can't do it while I'm still working. And so mm -hmm. once I retired, I decided I'm going to go into a fair exchange with my sheep um, and exchange for their fleece. I'm going to buy them food. <laughs> <laughs> So that's kind of how it got started. And um, as I started investigating, you know, what the breed was about and kind of getting into it more, I decided I kind of wanted to go more towards um, getting to a registered breed mm -hmm. and a registered flock. And so now I'm on the great sheep hunt trying to find some registered teeswaters. And which is kind of hard in my area because there aren't a lot of people that have teeswaters. So I have to go to Texas, New York, Oregon, Alabama to try to find some sheep. So it's, wow. yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to having a sheep that's like registered, so um, what is, I mean, what does that technically mean? Well, it's most people, you know, with a crossbred sheep or something like that, you can have all kinds of genetics. Um, when you kind of go into a registered breed, you're trying to get to a genetics that has the same type of fiber and is very consistent. Um, right now, I've got some sheep that have really nice locks, um, and I have some sheep that have very straight, no um, crimp in their locks or anything like that. And so I, I'm trying to get more towards a kind of a standardization. Oh, so okay. for each year that I have my fleeces, I can count on my fleeces being a certain standard. Okay. That, that makes sense. And so I know that you too, like you're actually a member of the is it the American Teeswater Association? American Teeswater Sheep Association. Sheep yeah. Association. Okay, um, and so then that doesn't necessarily mean that you have like a registered flock, or does it mean that? Well, I'm working towards getting a registered flock. Um, okay. The gal that I had bought my sheep from, she had followed the guidelines um, for the registration, but she never um, sent in the paperwork. Um, she just didn't want to deal with all of that stuff. And so, you know, she started out with um, a foundation Cotswold use and she bought a Teeswater Ram. And so then she was line breeding to try to get to the type of fleece that she wanted. And so, when I bought my sheep, I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, they're registered teeswaters or they would be able to be registered, but they want that line lineage from every 
from sheep to sheep, you know. So they want to know which ram is which with what you. And so I wasn't able to take and register um, my flock. Um, when you take and you look at my flock and you compare them to the ones that are already registered that have papers, there's not a lot of difference. But I do have the variety of um, the fleeces in them. Okay. So yeah, so then once they, once they become a little more standardized and you basically have history of the lineage, then that would kind of move them more towards being able to be registered. Right. That's correct. Okay. okay. So trying to trying to get standardization and just keeping track of those that paperwork so you know um, which ram you were put in with which you and which babies you had. So um, trying not to breed back too closely on the on the line. So you don't get some bad um, genetics popping out or something like that. Sure. And you seem like you are a relatively diligent note taker. When I was looking on your website, because you have every single sheep listed as well as like their shearing date and like how the micron count of their fiber and all kinds of stuff. So I imagine, I imagine that has been built into you now as trying to work towards this registration. Yes, definitely. Um, it, it just kind of helps, you know, if I'm recording this stuff, you know, if people are buying the fleeces and they, they want to see, you know, what the micron count is, what the comfort count is, because with our long wools, um, they're a little higher micron count. So they're not going to be the same softness as say like a Merino or a Rambouillet. But my tease water, um, I took four of my fleeces over to uh, Estes Park for their um, wool market there. Mm -hmm. And I had entered two whites and two colored into the contest or the judging. And so I sat through the whole day and I was waiting for the long wools to be judged. And I'm sitting there watching the long wools and my fleeces aren't in there. And I went back and I said, um, I brought in four fleeces, two of them were white, and I didn't see them in the judging. And they said, well, they were judged. And so they got to looking, and they went through, and they based it on the fineness of the wool to put them in the different groups. So my long wools actually were moved up from the long wool into the medium wool. Oh, category. wow. <laughs> so I said, well, that's a good boon for me in that aspect. <laughs> yeah. So I was pretty amazed at that. The only downfall was... I had one long wool um, fleece that was in there that her fleece was like over 10 inches. And so when they bumped that up into the long, to the medium wool, they don't want any of the medium wool to be longer than six inches. So she got knocked down for the being in the, you know, the length of her locks. But then in the long wool category, they knocked all of them down because they were too short. So... <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> so so I guess it, it is. It's kind of hilarious in a way, you know, because it's like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like your sheep got your sheep got in trouble for being a little too productive. So Right. Yeah. So yeah. So for my first time of taking fleeces, I got two reds and a, a third place and then the one 
she got knocked down because of the length of the wool in the wrong category. So, wow, that's really interesting. Um, so, I guess let's specifically about the tease water. I know you have other breeds too, and we can talk about those in a second. But what makes the tease waters? unique and you know just some general I know we talked a little bit about their fiber but what are some kind of broad sweeping generalizations about their wool okay well tease waters actually are known also um, they came originally from um, England and they're named after the river Tees and I can't remember the name of the county that they were in but um they were actually used as a foundation breed for like Winsdale and Martians. And they're also bred with some of the others for a larger carcass for meat sheep, which totally amazes me because people look at them and think just wool and they're not necessarily just wool. Huh. But that with their wool, their wool has a longer um, staple. So usually with the lamb wool, um, we may go up to even two years before we'll um, shear so we can get those really nice long locks. And so with my sheep, I sheared them and they had about, I'd say, close to nine months worth of growth. And I got t 10 to 12 inch locks with them. Wow. And so you can't send those to a commercial um, mill to process. And Teeswater Sheep also has a sheen to it. So um, when you put it into um, your yarns and stuff like that, it kind of has a pearly sheen to it. And so the, again, that's what I'm trying to breed for is that nice pearly sheen, the longer locks. But I want it to be a little bit softer also so that you can, it'll be, have a little bit more flexibility. Um, they said tease water is really good for like outerwear, your gloves, um, outer sweaters. Um, some of my fleeces have a real nice comfort that you could probably take them. If you're not too sensitive to the prickly factor of wool, you could probably wear it, you know, like as a scarf or something close to your neck. Mm, okay. And so does, um, would you say that that sheen on it helps it does that maintain when it takes up dyes yes it does have a nice um, shiny luster to it for the most part um you know some of uh, my sheep have a better luster than the others and again that's kind of what i'm going to be breeding for is trying to to track those genetics um which has the better luster so that it'll maintain once i dye it sure and I, I think I've seen too, um, elsewhere, a, a gal who does, I think it's tease water. They're like felted dreadlocks that people put into their hair. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I wondered if that was the breed that I saw. Cause my, uh, my little brother really likes putting those in his hair. So every year when I see her, I have to buy him some. So yeah. <laughs> well, when I do sell the long locks, and um, I know one of the things that I found too is um, my tease waters do really well with needle felting. I had several people ask me if they did well or not, and I wasn't sure. Had never done needle felting, and so I bought a kit, and they needle felted up faster than the wool of the kit that I bought. 
So now I'm, and I love it. I just fell in love with the needle sculpting, with the needle felting. So I'm making up some of my own kits for my company. So now, now you have another hobby to add yes. to your list of hobbies. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you're retired, so you can have a little more time. <laughs> Definitely. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, so okay, so you have you have other breeds, um, which you have some crosses, right? Like, um, what what else do you have above and beyond your tease waters? I do have two um, South Down Baby Doll Rambouillet crosses, um, and they're black. Um, one maintains a nice dark black for the most of the summer, and the tips will kind of turn a little brownish, you know, by the end of the year with all the sun fading. The other one, she browns out the tips of it pretty much, but the underside is black. And um, I was... When not knowing genetics when I first started and stuff, I didn't know what a down breed was. Um, I know when I talked to somebody about it, they said, well, they're a down breed. And I'm like, um, my sheep are happy. They're not down. <laughs> 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 and so they're just a, a nice, soft, downy breed. Um, they have a lot of loft to their fiber. And so... Um, the judge really liked uh, the one uh, that we had taken, and she likes to get in the middle of the hay. And so she said if this one wouldn't have had all the hay in it, this would have been the first place. And she has nice seven-inch locks, and they're just beautiful to work with. Those little so. stinkers don't know any better when they just jump right into the pile or somebody eats hay right over their back. Or whatever. Well, and, and she, because she's black, you know, of course, every little piece of hay shows up so well. And she likes to be in the middle. That's where her favorite place is. Oh, my gosh. That's super funny. They're so silly. They are. So I'm hoping um, I, she had two lambs this year. I had a little ram lamb and a little um, ewe. And so I'm going to keep the ewe. And so I'll have to find some, the ram will have to find a new home. But they're super friendly, just like their mom is. And so I know the little ewe, when she was born, she had the little tiny curls that I call the tease water curls. And so I'm hoping she'll maintain that once she gets older. Okay. And um, so with them being the South Down Baby Dolls, so those are like notorious for being, you know, one of next to like the, the, the Valet's Black Nose. Um, they are supposed to be like one of the world's cutest sheep. Um, <laughs> so what kind of characteristics do they keep from that particular breed because they know that they they end up kind of looking and I don't know if it's just photography that can distort it but they end up looking like they have quite short legs well now my baby dolls um the gal that had the South Down baby dolls um the only rams she could find were Rambouillet rams to breed with and so they're actually a South Down Rambouillet cross and they're actually not that much smaller than my Teeswaters are Oh, okay. 
And so I know a lot of people were kind of concerned because, you know, they're supposed to be really small. But I think with because she's already crossed them with the Rambouillet, they're a little bit bigger sheep. Um, they still have that kind of cuteness. Um, the one sheep is a lot more personable. The other one is more standoffish. Um, and so her babies are, you know, the one that Angel is the one that's kind of, she'll come up to you. She wants her chin scratched and stuff. And her babies are just the same. <laughs> so. Oh, that's so cute. So, um, with kind of the way that you guys are working currently. So I know that you're working on a bit of genetic selection to try to get to like the, I'm assuming the standardization um, and then also possibly other fiber types that you want to be able to sell. Um, so what does that, what does that look like? Like how do you make decisions regarding that, I guess? Well, for me is one, I want a good carcass. Um, I want lambs that, you know, and use that can have their lambs without having any problems. And I think that's kind of a standardization for any sheep rancher. Um, I'm looking for them to throw the genetics. Um, you know, I have just a small place, so I'm not as um, tied up into, I want them to have twins. You know, um, for like two years I had singles. This last year I had um, three sets of twins. So that was kind of a shock. <laughs> sure. You know, so when they have the right feed and stuff like that, nature just kind of takes over. And so they have what they're supposed to have. But I have had very few problems. Um, we do cull pretty heavily. So if I have a sheep that, you know, just is having problems lambing or something like that, unless they have a very wonderful fleece or something, then I'm going to be um, selling them. So I don't have, I'm not trying to breed that back into my breeding program. Sure. Yeah. And that, I mean, that makes sense. Um, so, and you guys, you guys did lamb. So how did, how did that go for you this year? This year was really tough. Um, I usually tried to lamb in March. Um, this year we had 20 below degree weather. And even the, in the barn, we had a hard time. Our first lamb we lost um, because it was 20 below. Um, we weren't expecting to start lambing for another couple weeks. And so she had her lamb early. And um, I do have cameras in my barn to kind of monitor and that little stinker found the one spot I didn't ha couldn't see her. I could see her laying down in the corner, but I couldn't tell what was going on with her. Uh, and so by the time we got home, her lamb had, um, it was just too cold and froze. Um, so I had nine lambs, three sets of twins and three singles. And I have eight ewes. So we were pretty happy with that. So. And did all the moms keep all their lambs or did anybody, did you they, have any bottle babies? No bottle babies. I had a couple that I thought I was going to have to have some. We had a couple of the ewes that had really big bags. And so they had a real hard plug in them. And so um, that was the first time we have ever had that problem. 
the lambs just couldn't get that plug out. And so we mm. had to really kind of milk them to get it the plug out. And once they did, the lambs just kind of latched on. And I had a couple of them following me around. It was funny because they wouldn't latch on unless I was standing there watching them. <laughs> because we had to kind of start them out because of the plug you know and so we were afraid we would lose them so we were trying to get some food in them before because it was so cold and Mm. once they kind of figured it out then they were good to go and (laughs) well that's good at least there's that part yeah um so I guess that actually just kind of leads me into my next question because um South Dakota is because I live there too, but I live on the complete opposite side as you. So we have some really interesting challenges when it comes to climate. Um, Depending on the season, depending on the place in South Dakota that you are. Um, And I know you guys just got, I mean, your last big dump of snow was right before Memorial Day weekend. So you guys had snow really, really late. so what kinds of challenges does it bring when you have like a flock and you have some, I'm assuming you guys, cause I know up in Deadwood, they get pretty significant snowfall. I imagine you guys do as well. Well, right around Custer, we're, we're kind of in the, I don't know, the sunshine state or the, you know, the banana belt for the hills. Um, we're kind of on that edge. The Northern Hills gets a lot more, worse weather than what we do Mm. Um, this last year was really a challenge because we did have a lot of snow Um, it was the first year that I've been out here and I've been here for you know 10 or 12 years that my outdoor water froze and so then I had to carry water and can't believe how much water sheep drink So that that's a challenge that we're going to have to try to figure out what we can do. Um, my barns are just uh, basically used for lambing is about the only thing I use them for. Um, so we had some just basic shelters. But with my girls, they had so much, you know, fleece on that I went, I was so worried about them. I was feeding them in the barn so they go in the barn and they go in and eat and they'd promptly go back outside and lay in the snow <laughs> they, they don't always know any better do they <laughs> well apparently they were comfortable even when it got down so you know those 20 below zero days we were just i was worried about them losing their ears and stuff like that and they were just they'd snuggle down in the snow and they'd just be comfortable well, I mean, whatever works, as long as they don't freeze to the ground, because my, right. <laughs> my dad said when he was a kid, and they had a flock, and they all laid down during a ice storm, and they all froze to the ground, so he, they had to go out and cut them all out from the ground. <laughs> so, so I just, I mean, you have a barn, you have a lean-to, they didn't really think that either of those things was very important. So, right. but that's okay. They don't all have brains and we know that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, they so, keep us on our toes, you know, what can I say? <laughs> yeah, they do. Cause they just, they each have their own personalities. Do you have any escape artists? I, well, I do have one. I took and uh, separated the Rams out 
so I had three little boy rams, and so the, I separated them from the ewes, and Ace, one of Angel's twins, he, I don't know, he was back in with the ewes. I have no idea how he got there. Uh, other time he got out, I went to the gate, and I said, what are you doing out here? There's no water out here. So he just follows me back in the gate. So when he's in with the gals, I said, Ace, what are you doing out here? He came up. I just tickled him under the chin, grabbed a hold of the rough around his neck, and we led him to the other gate. So, Wow. <laughs> well, it's nice you have one that's, like, mildly cooperative, even if yes. he is an escape artist. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And do you guys, too... Um, do you guys have any predators that are unique to the area that you're in? Well, we have, um, coyotes, we have mountain lions. Um, you know, I, I think those are probably the biggest predators. Um, we do have eagles. I haven't had any problems, but we usually keep the lambs in the lambing barn until they're, you know, probably about a month old. And so they go in and out of the barn, you know, until they're ready to go out on the pasture. So I haven't had any problems with eagles. but um, And luckily, my uh, cousin lives across the hill from me, and he has uh, hound dogs. And they are used for uh, tracking um, mountain lions. Oh. So I'm hoping that the mountain lions are getting the picture so they're kind of staying away. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So are they, is there a reason that they're being trained to, to track them just to locate them or? Well, they hunt. Um, okay. You know, so in Wyoming, they can use dogs to hunt um, the mountain lions. And then once in a while, they'll have one that gets hurt or something. And so they'll call them to help them try to locate them, you know, so that they can take care of them or put them down if they need to. Yeah. Wow, that's really fascinating. I'd never, never would have thought of such a thing. Yeah. Um, but we don't have mountain lions on the eastern side, so I don't really have to worry about it so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, and I'm just uh, some neighbors down the road, probably about um, ten miles away, said they have a black bear down there. So I'm like, keep really? it down there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I mean, how far are you guys from the Wyoming border? You guys aren't. I'm only even... about like 37 miles. It's 37 miles to Newcastle from Custer. So we're probably okay. about 10 miles from the Wyoming border, you know, okay. across country. So then that's not too. Do bears really get. I've, I guess when I've gone out to the hills, I don't see a whole lot about bears necessarily. Everything's like, you know, don't get out of your car when you see a bison and nobody listens right. to that for some reason. But, um, but do bears get into the area very often? I think they're kind of traveling, you know, as they get more and more bears, like up in the Bighorns and some of those areas. It's kind of like with our mountain lions. They have their own area that they kind of protect. And so when there's no areas left for these new boys coming up and stuff, they start roaming, looking for new um, area to go into. And so I know there's been a couple sightings up in the northern hills of some bears, and then there's this bear that they said that they sound out, found out in south. So I'm like, 
I hope they keep moving on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean, here's the other dumb question. Do bears eat sheep? Well, I think they'll eat anything they can. I mean, okay. it's mm-hmm. just, you know, for the most part, it's kind of like with mountain lions. You know, deer are their preferred prey. Um, they like porcupines, you know. Um, if we start having some of your, you know, your cats and dogs kind of going missing and stuff, then, you know, you probably have a, a mountain lion that's old or hurt or something that can't um, capture a deer. Oh. And so then, you know, we kind of have to kind of watch for that. So. Thanks. Okay. Yes. That's a lot. That's a lot to think about. That's a pretty big, I would feel like that's a pretty big predator to try to manage. Um, yes. If that became an issue for you guys. So yeah. hopefully. I'm hoping he's moving on. I don't want him here. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I'd almost be nervous because do you what do you have a you have a livestock guardian dog Uh, well I have a border collie um she doesn't know if she's a protection dog or if she's supposed to be chasing sheep she's just not quite a year old yet so (laughs) I know she gets out with them every once in a while and I've got a couple of them that um aren't scared of her so they'll just stand there and she'll come up to nip them or something and then they just kind of put their head down by her and so I'll tell her to lay down and so they'll just kind of stand around and then pretty soon all the babies come and lay around her (laughs) so she's not really sure what's happening (laughs) oh my gosh well I would imagine like a I don't well she probably wouldn't be interested in chasing off a bear Maybe. Well, (laughs) I don't know. She she gets all bent out of shape when the deer get in the yard and she'll come in and to bark and bark and, you know, and she'll come in and she'll come grab me and bark at me and like, there's something going on. And so (laughs) like last night I went out to find out what was going on and she was barking and I could hear something munch and I thought, what is going on? I went and looked, here's the rams right over the, the hill close to the house and Whatever they were chewing on was pretty loud. <laughs> she was all bent out of shape. <laughs> so. Well, it's entertaining to say the least. That's yes, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> so what kinds of stuff do you guys have coming up soon? Do you have any fiber festivals or anything else that you are working on? Um, we have a local um, gold discovery days here in Custer. Uh, we have our quilt show and then they have a craft show and stuff. So I'm going to set up my booth there to see how we um, will do kind of as a craft booth. Um, we had our old time country fair the past weekend and we did okay. And so we have our county fair that I'll probably set up my booth and try to do some information on the teas water and sheep in general. Yeah. Well, it's kind of nice with the, with the Teeswater too, um, because they have like the long locks and they're not just like a straight fleece. Like you can use those locks for actual crafts, like, uh, like people use them for doll hair. Is that right? Yes. Doll hair. You know, I've seen, um, people wearing them in their hair is like you said with, um, so you can use it for all different things. Art, you know, a lot of people are putting it into um, the needle felted art work that they're doing as landscapes, that type of thing. Oh, cool. So, 
yeah there there's so many things to do with it i'm just uh, you know trying to get everything done it's like taking care of sheep oh i gotta go fix fence but i need to get some yarn made <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i bet so oh my gosh well yeah and i'm sorry i think i totally cut you off was there were there any other events that were coming up that i just didn't let um, you talk about <laughs> oh no that's fine um i think there's a uh, couple other things that we're kind of working with yet we don't have them finalized and then um up around water town is the north country um fiber fair oh, in yeah. so i'm hoping i can get out there and maybe set up a booth so oh good good did you do that one last year i didn't um last year actually was the first year i kind of put together my company and started okay. um, just the startup and so this is the first year I've ever done any of the fairs or anything like that so okay just oh, kind well, of starting nice. out yeah so trying to find where they're all at and unfortunately a lot of the things are all on the same weekend yeah you know so it sometimes it's hard to try to get to different places you know so you just kind of have to pick and choose and mm -hmm. you know, for me it's easier if it's local because I can come home at night to take care of animals right or if it's something I have to travel, then I have to find somebody to take care of the sheep and the dog and stuff. So Sure, sure. Well, I think you'll like that one. I did, uh, I taught last year at North Country and sold as well. So um, it's, a, it's a nice little fiber fair and it's, Watertown's a nice town too, so. So yeah, well, I, I'm really glad that we finally got to connect after meeting in the Black Hills a couple of months ago. Um, and I really appreciate you also joining me on this podcast. So if, if anybody, you know, out there wants to learn more about your farm or find you, like, where can they do that? I do have a web page. Um, it's the www busy b-u-s-y-e-w-e busy u farm fibers with an s on it dot com perfect well and i will go ahead and i'll link to that in the show notes too so everybody okay. can find that all yeah. right yeah one of, one of the other things we are doing is um a lot of people have showed an interest in learning how to dye fiber you know i've got a lot of spinning friends mm. that have been making yarn for a lot of years so we did have a class um in was it may that we did have a bunch of about five or six people came they brought their own yarn and we learned how to dye their yarn that they had already spun and we learned how to dye some roving that type of thing and so i do have my dye studio open and then we're going to hopefully be doing some more dye classes we're looking at doing a sock dyeing class and then I have uh, people can rent my studio if they want to bring their stuff and dye it. If they have their own dyes, that's fine. Or if they want to use some of mine, then there's a material cost. Perfect. So, well, how fun would that be to go? You could yeah. go take a trip out to the Black Hills. You could see Mount Rushmore. And then you could go take a dyeing class. <laughs> right. Yeah, you can learn how to do the dyeing. And you can bring your stuff. You can use my studio and space because a lot of people said, you know, I just don't have room to do it at home. And I said, well, we'll just kind of set up. You can call, make arrangements and stuff, and then come out if I'm available and we'll set up a day and you can just die to your heart's content. Yeah, that's super awesome. 
Well, Brenda, thank you again so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, you're sure welcome. You can find all the information about Brenda's Facebook and her website on the show notes, and that is at www.woolanddye, so that's W-O-O-L-A-N-D-D-Y-E.com. You can also find links to a lot of the other things that we spoke about in today's show, as well as a link for the courses that Vermont Grandview Farm is offering for small producers.